Yeah, I agree with that. You know, and when I was her age, I I get that because it's like always the pressure. What are you going to do? Because when I changed my major to religion, my parents were just like, so her childhood bedroom is going to be her home for the rest of her life, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it, it was the pressure of like, what's going to happen? The uncertainty, right? Because everybody just wants financial security. And so, you know, you know, the do what makes you happy money will come. I, I believe that I, I subscribe to it to a point. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I feel like when I was her age, the, the answer that I would tell people to just kind of stop. And I, I feel it was partially true. They'd say, well, what do you want to do? And I was always tell them, I was like, you know, the job I really want hasn't been invented yet. Because if you think about it, just the way that the world changes, some of these companies that are huge now, even social, there are jobs that didn't exist five years ago. There are jobs that didn't exist last year. And so just with, you know, skills and talents and what you're interested in, there's probably just a good chance the career you're going to end up in or how you're going to do it or the way in which maybe it's something that already exists, but the way in which it's executed just hasn't happened. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. The podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, go to myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experienced with an ED for my Marines out there who have trouble spelling like myself. Click on podcast, scroll down to this episode, other episodes, hit read more, download it from all the different platforms. And if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, go back to the homepage, click find a trusted professional, and we will get you connected with someone who's not an idiot out there that can represent your financial interests without worrying about if you're buying a good deal or selling a good deal. But we are not here to talk about real estate today. We are here with my friend, Mel. Mel, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I have enjoyed our conversation this morning. So you are married to a Marine. I am. And we together have a shared last name of Span. We do. We do. It's like we're related. It's like, oh my God. It's like we're distant cousins somewhere. Or, you know, I always wanted to have a sister. So maybe maybe you're my sister and I never knew. Yeah. As long as you put me on the Christmas list and the will, we can make it work. See, this is, you You have been nonstop all morning and this is fantastic. (laughs) Like if your husband doesn't have to take Prozac already, he's going to be on it very quickly, isn't he? (laughs) He takes it. Yeah. He's got a few prescriptions. So we started all these off with a dumb dad joke, mainly because when I started this series uh, a year and a half ago, my father-in-law said, you got to do a joke. So I intentionally do bad jokes. Okay. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. My wife told me to stop impersonating a flamingo. So I had to put my foot down. I did not. I did not say that these were good jokes. No, I. You know, flamingo is my favorite animal. What? Yeah. Tell me more about that. You know, they're they're pink. They're regal. Um, they just stand around. They do what they want. But putting a foot down, probably something my husband doesn't have a lot of experience in in our house. So <laughs> <laughs> you might be able to shed some advice at the end. I'm sorry, honey. Oh, oh man, he's. I'm gonna have to have him on the show just for therapy. Right? He's gonna he's gonna make me like buy him a new rifle. I'm gonna have like I can already see like there's a scope being scoped out that I'm gonna have to have to pay for. So it sounds like he might actually be winning. You know he might be. He, he might uses, be winning. Yeah, he uses my wife guilt. Your wife guilt. <laughs> I was like, oh, I talked too much shit about you today. I'm so, oh, I'm sorry. No, you can say, hey, guess what? We live in America. We can say whatever we want. Fair enough. Yeah. Hey, trust me, I've said a lot worse things on this show. And we also have these fine folks here that uh, do a lot of editing. So when it comes really to editing before these episodes drop is them removing a lot of dumb things I say. 
it's less about what the guest has said. It's more like, hey, Span, I don't think we should probably say that on the I'm show. It's like, yeah, not a good And I'm like, well, I mean, come on. It is America. Come on. First Amendment. We can say whatever we want. Like how flavorful you want it to go, yeah, right? Exactly. So they just keep you to salt and pepper, right? But he, man, I'm literally just going to sit back and listen to you for the next hour. How about no. that? Yes. You might lose a few IQ points. By the no, 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 no. I already feel like mine's gone up because you're kind of working on some higher education at this point, are you? Oh, yeah. You know, um, TCU has a wonderful program, and I'm at the the last stretch of that PhD. I'm writing my dissertation. I'm ready. Just finished chapter three out of five in like in the home stretch of finishing this thing. So what's your PhD? Higher education leadership. So really like organizational leadership with an emphasis on higher education structure. And so. Well, let's let's dive back into time to figure out how that journey gets all the way to doing something like that. Oh, man. Uh, well, it goes back to 18-year-old Mel, who knew way more than 31-year-old Mel. <laughs> like way more. Um, man, you couldn't tell her anything. So my journey briefly started at, you know, I, after high school, I went to Everman High School right outside okay. of Fort Worth, went to matriculate straight into college, went to Texas Wesleyan University where, you know, I'm a first generation to college student. And as most fit first generation students, you know, I call them the, the school poster, you know, careers. It's teacher, lawyer, nurse, doctor, firefighter, right? Police right. officer. Like that's what you see those in and you're like, okay, which one makes the most money? Doctor. And so started off biochem pre-med, and then I was like, oh, this ain't for me. <laughs> um, then I switched to psychology because I was just like, that's a respectable science. And my parents were like, uh-huh. Um, and I was like, great. And my mom's like, you're going to want to be like a psychologist? And I was like, I want to be a sex therapist. And they're like, oh, God, it gets worse. <laughs> um, and then I took my first counseling class, and I'm like, I have to care about people's problems? <laughs> um, like for like 40 hours a week? Um, I was like, man, that's a lot to ask of a person. And so I switched my degree uh, to comparative religious studies. So my degree is in comparative religion, and I took two study abroad trips. I took a trip to India which was my first time out of the country. That is not, that's a hard country to go to for your first time out of the U.S. <laughs> and then my second study abroad trip was to Turkey, Greece, and Rhodes. And that it completely changed my life, my perception of people. Um, it just added a layer of intentionality and depth. And so after that, I thought I wanted to be a religion professor. So I went to seminary, like the academic route, but having, being like the only academic at a room full of like preachers, like, you know, just like flashbacks to my childhood of, you know, fire and brimstone. So kind of dropped out of <laughs> seminary and went back, you know, and I was working a corporate, I was working a corporate job at the time for a failing company. Um, I guess I could say, you know, I was working for Radio Shack. Ooh, so, yeah, that, yeah. Was a, that was one going down the drain there. <laughs> it, was, it? it was, it was a very interesting first job because I met some incredible people, but it was a very stressful work environment. And, you know, it, you know, corporate was, you know, it was a boys game there. And, you know, you can't run to HR when somebody says something. So I had to learn how to be clever and witty and funny and, you know, but, you know, it gets exhausting. And so I thought about it. I was sitting in my little cubicle, a very fancy, glamorous cubicle, right? <laughs> and uh, I was like, where was the last place I was happiest? And I was like, college. College was the last place I was happiest. So I um, called up a lady who I did a work-study job for and ended up getting a job working at my old university. And so from there, I enrolled in a master's in higher education. And then it just really led me on my journey from working back at Texas Wesleyan to working at UTA. Then I worked at TCU for almost six years and loved it finished my master's and then started the PhD there. Um, and so almost finishing it now, which has led me to a career in nonprofit. And, you know, really a lot of my career was spent with college and career access, really working with first generation, low income, underrepresented students. And so really getting to translate that, working with 
uh, the women and youth that we work with now. So that's my little journey. Well, so I, dialing back to your days at Radio Shack, it might have been a boys club then, but they didn't have a chance around you. Just, I mean, like they, they, they saw you coming and they were like, like they had to go get therapists. They, yeah, there was a few people who would walk away from the, the common <laughs> lunch table when I came. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was, it was good times, right? Like the good times. Yeah. yeah. It's nothing like, you know, having somebody come to your cube and say, where's that $5 million contract? Because you were the last person with the digital signature on it. I'm just like, where's the last hundred million dollars? this company? <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, it got queued in the wrong place. Luckily I found it because it was just like, I don't have your money. So let's talk about the study abroad when you went to Rodos. Oh, that is a interesting place. I've been there. Oh, the little island? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful island. Gorgeous island. Um, you know, I tell my, you know, whenever I went, actually, my husband and I were just starting to date when I was there. And I was just like, I remember calling him, like, of course, that was before free international calls. So it was right. a He's like, how is it? And I was just like, all the men look like Greek gods. And he's just like, and how are you doing? And I was like, I'm great. I'm great. I don't know if you'll ever see me again. Um, Gage is over here hyperventilating, laughing. <laughs> It's like, he's like, man, that's hilarious. But it's, I mean, there's like, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, as you know, when we're kids to look at, you know, take world geography classes and look at this stuff through the lens of a textbook. It's different when you're there and you're, you know, we're here in the U S like what are, you know, a lot of what we see with our history, you know, whether it's finding, you know, an arrowhead from, you know, native American populations when you go on digs or Mm -hmm. just seeing some of the early stuff in the country. But when you go over there and you see things that were built, you know, thousands of years ago like it's just like i remember picking up a rock in greece that was written i was just like you know i was like plato might have held this rock they're just like that probably didn't happen but i was like don't kill the fantasy right um you know i was like socrates stood here and there's like he didn't live in this part but like but it's just something so different of like adding that experience like in real life and we went one was a we went to Ephesus and even some of the sites that you need, you know, you see that are in the Bible, right? Because like when you're here in the U.S., these are just like, they're just concepts, right? And mm-hmm. then you actually go there and you're like, okay, so this was a real place where real people stood and real history happened here. It's, it's fascinating. It's humbling. It's enriching. And, uh, you know, I hope to be able to, to travel with my daughter and like open her, her mind up to the world. Yeah. So that's probably one of the best things I've done with my daughter is I've taken her all over the world. Right. And, uh, it was really funny. So when she was 15, yeah, I think she was 15 at the time, I had to take a trip over to China. So I took her and Laura with me. And so we were in China, then we were in Hong Kong. And then my brother-in-law was getting married in Korea. He was, he's still in the Army. And so we went over there and hit up Korea. And I just remember my daughter just being like, wow, like this is old stuff. Like we were going through villages that have been around for like thousands of years. And we had a tour guide and she was like, so this has been around for like ever. Wow. And it just, you know, it really, it really gave her the travel bug. Right. And we've always traveled a lot with her and, and she's always really enjoyed it except for now that she's a broke college kid, you know, and rides in the back of the plane. Uh, she's like, dad, I really miss traveling with you. She liked to ride in the front of the plane. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, so that's what you got to do. You got to go make some money if you want to ride in the front of the plane. And then she's like, cool, got a job at Walmart. And I was like, as long as you're happy, that's as important. As long as you're happy, right? Yeah. And she yeah, actually, she's doing really good. She, she's very, I've raised her to be very, very independent, which is a sword that cuts two ways. You would uh, know something about that, I, wouldn't you? I, I do with my daughter. And I'll say, sadly, I feel like the only thing that China sounds so cool. I feel like the only thing I've exposed my child to 
um, is capitalism because we just came back from Disney. And so. Oh, you got the full on. Wow. A water costs $30. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you know, I was trying to tell her, I was like, you know, we can buy a Rice Krispie treat at, you know, the 7-Eleven outside our park. And her daddy was like, no, she wants the Mickey Mouse one. And I'm like, but she's not going to eat it. <laughs> and anything for his princess. Um, I, I was like, I'm trying to figure out how I can become a princess in his life. Because yeah. when I ask for stuff around the house, like it's a no. Can we go? Can I order this on Wayfair? And absolutely not. You don't need a new patio. So you don't sit outside. Um, so I need to st- actually, I should just start giving her my wish list of things I want for the house. And like, I think we might have a new tactic of how I get things. So check us out. So I told you my daughter had flown in a uh, week before last for my birthday. And one of the things that she gave me was some new socks that I'm actually wearing right now that uh, um, this morning I was like, man, I'm out of socks. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got these new socks. It says, awesome bonus, dad. <laughs> that <laughs> so is I'm awesome. Like, so I took, I took a photo of it and sent it to her this morning, which I'm sure she's still asleep because She's a college kid. She didn't get up till like three o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. She does, but yeah, yeah she's yeah, she's in college. Like if that, right? I, yeah. I tried to make the mistake my first semester in college of thinking, you know what? I'm not gonna become a lazy college student. I'm gonna be, you know, steadfast. And so I signed up for an 8 a.m. class. This is the worst decision of my life. Yeah, I was about I to say that only lasted what one semester, right? It, it didn't even last the full semester. I was like, <laughs> how can I get it? How can I undo this egregious mistake? Like, <laughs> can I drop I have, this without it affecting my GPA? <laughs> I, I have messed up. Um, yeah. And it was a science class because I was just like, I'm going to show all these people here. I'm going to show them who I am. I sure did when I when I dropped all of the classes. And like, I need, I need a mulligan. We need to redo this semester. I need underwater basket weaving. So it's, it, it's been really funny to watch our, our daughter growing up is now that she's 21, it annoys my wife because she no longer calls my wife for advice. She calls me. She called me yesterday. Uh, my last guest, when we were recording the episode, I wanted to go show him uh, some properties that I got in my fund. And then my daughter calls, and I was like, wow, she's calling me. She must be important because she usually just texts. It's that generation does, right? And then so I was like, oh, she's calling. She's There must be something important. And she calls. She goes, hey, need some advice on something. And, you know, of course, I was like, okay, well, these are three options. And in my experience, blah, 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 blah. And she was like, cool. I'll call you tomorrow. I'll let you know how it goes. Awesome. And so Ashton, who was recording yesterday, was like, dude, that's so cool that your kid calls you and asks for advice. And I was like, it is pretty cool. Like, I, I it's like warms my heart. Like he must right? be doing something right. I <laughs> trust that, yeah. That what she did is she wrote down the three things. I said, these are your options. She's like, well, there's no fucking way we're doing any of those. <laughs> we don't know what not to do in this situation. <laughs> it, it is really funny. So, like, uh, so we, we have a house up in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. Every Christmas, we bring the entire family up, right? And we just do, you know, the white Christmas snow coming down. You got oh, the Christmas trees, and it's not cold, actually, believe it or not. It's not like Texas cold. Like, 40 degrees in Texas is, oh, wow, this is what it's like when hell freezes over. But in Colorado, it's dry, and you are you can be wearing short sleeve shirt outside. It's, it's just weird. It's a weird thing, Like an right? arid weather. Like, it's not. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's just awesome. So, anyhow, we're up there. And uh, my brother-in-law, same one in Korea, right, flies in, uh, brings, brings you know, his wife and kids and got in-laws. We got everybody. And, of course, everybody's up Maggie's ass, right? What are you going to major in? What are you going to do with your life? And blah, 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 blah. Just, I mean, just in her heart. 
So they all fly out. Maggie sticks around for a couple of extra days before she goes back to Fort Collins, where she's going to school at CSU. And she says, uh, oh, and we're running around doing errands or something like that. And she says, hey, Dad. She goes, I got I to gotta tell you, I really appreciate something. And I was like, what's that? She goes, you're literally the only person in this family that is not at my butt about everything. And I was like, well, two things. One, I dropped out of high school at 17 and went in the Marines. I don't really feel like I, I, I did go back and go to college and then go back and get an MBA. But I just kind of feel like ah, I really don't have a lot of say in the matter because you are paying for yourself, right? Now, we were paying for college whenever she was actually going to class. And then when she stopped going to class, we stopped paying for college. You know, So she's having to figure it out herself, right? Life learning episodes. I said, and the second thing is, whatever you think you want to do today, that's going to change over the course of years. Just like when I went in the Marine Corps at 17, I thought I was going to be in the Marines for the next 30 years. And then I learned once a Marine, always a Marine. So why re-enlist? Right? <laughs> and then I got out and I joined Fort Worth PD and spent a number of years there. And it was like, don't really love being a cop. Thank God for first responders. It's an admirable job. They should absolutely be heroes and everything else. It was just not for me. Like I found myself changing units like every two years because I was like just not happy until I had gone back to get my MBA at TCU. And I was like, oh, this is why I'm happy because I really don't like that job. And then, you know, I went into... One firm that ended very poorly before I just realized that the problem is, is I'm unemployable because I'm a pain in the ass. And so I was like, well, the only thing you can do when you're a pain in the ass is just open up your own businesses. And so I was like, so whatever you think you're going to do today is going to change, right? Like you were talking about, you're like, hey, you know, it's going to go to school and realize, oh, yeah, hey, wait a minute. I really don't want to deal with people coming in telling me all their bad stuff for 40 hours a week, right? So it's this journey, right? And and it's going to change along the way. And those who don't change along the way fall into one of two categories. They were fortunate enough to find and land something they really, really enjoyed, or they have just been sucking wind for eternity, living and doing something that they really don't like, right? Yeah, I agree with that. You know, and when I was her age, I I get that because it's like always the pressure. What are you going to do? Because when I changed my major to religion, my parents were just like, so her childhood bedroom is going to be her home for the rest of her life. (laughs) Um, You know, (laughs) and so it it was the pressure of like, what's going to happen? The uncertainty, right? Because everybody just wants financial security. And so, you know, you know, the do what makes you happy money will come. I I believe that I I subscribe to it to a point. Right. But, you know, I feel like when I was her age, the the answer that I would tell people to just kind of stop. And I I feel it was partially true. They'd say, well, what do you want to do? And I was always telling them, I was like, you know, the job I really want hasn't been invented yet. Because if you think about it, just the way that the world changes, some of these companies that are huge now, even social, there are jobs that didn't exist five years ago. There are jobs that didn't exist last year. And so just with, you know, skills and talents and what you're interested in, there's probably just a good chance the career you're going to end up in or how you're going to do it or the way in which maybe it's something that already exists, but the way in which it's executed just hasn't happened yet. And to the other side of that coin is jobs that were around for a hundred years and no longer in existence. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of like working at Radio Shack, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Blockbuster, Kodak. I mean, all, all these different companies that were staples for a, a century. Well, Blockbuster wasn't a century. But now it's like, who, who would have, it, 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 when, when someone told Blockbuster 20 years ago, hey, have you heard of this thing called Netflix? They were like, not on our radar. Yeah. And then now Blockbuster, I think, still has one location that's 
more of a museum than it's anything a novelty, else. Right. Right. Like spot. Yeah. And then uh, you, you look at other things that are going on. It's like, you know, like you said, it's these, there's all these new jobs that are being created. It's really interesting. So I'm on uh, T- TCU's MBA alumni board and we had a board meeting last Friday. And part of the board meeting is we had to go uh, to the symposium where they had a, one of these futurists come on, and I, which I'm fascinated with, big follower, George Frieden. And she was talking about, uh, God, I wish I remember her name. I think I got it on my phone somewhere. But she was talking about how there is jobs that have not been created yet that will need to be created because of the changing of things. Like, what do you do? Like, and where really, where she was really focused in on is, she said in 20, I think she said 2016, she was in Las Vegas and they had this self-driving semi that was there. And she's like, wow, how cool is this? Oh my God, there's a lot of people that drive semis. What's going to happen to them? Right? So what do you do when you become not essential, right? Because you've been replaced by a robot. Do you do nothing or do you go find something new to do? And what is that new thing? Because you still got to provide for your families and everything else, right? Absolutely. And, you know, that's why I'm always big on the idea of, you know, transferable skills, right? I think there are a lot of people I know, even friends who are older, who feel like they're being left behind. And I tell them, your skill set is being left behind. You can choose to come along with us or you can be left behind, right? And people, it, it goes back to, you know, one of my favorite books is called The Four Agreements. And one of the four agreements is, you know, don't take it personal. And I think that that really transcends to a lot, you know, really lots of things in life. And so when people talk about the changing workforce or they talk about, you know, millennials and all these different things, they're choosing to take the workforce personal, right? Yeah. They're like, I don't have a place to fit in. No, your skills don't have a place to fit in. You, if you're living, breathing, have ambition, you want it, you, you have drive. There's always a place for that. How you choose to market yourself will determine where you land, right? I'm a huge believer that like when I went to college, my parents paid for it one textbook a semester. That was it. And I was grateful for that because I knew people who didn't have, I thought I was the luckiest kid in the world until I joined a sorority and then met, you know, I, we, we were, you know, I grew up at the school I went to was like a lower income school, but we were, um, I was like, you know, I was the rich kid of the hood, right? Like I had like, I had an, I was one of the only kids with an iPod when it came out. Like my parents both had jobs. My parents both had vehicles and we had a big screen TV. Like I thought I was like, I thought we were like the Huxtables like or something. And I'm just like, well, maybe that's not the best analogy anymore. But, you know, um, you know, I just thought we were like living big, right? And yeah. then like, you know, I went to, I remember going to college and getting like my financial aid award letter. And I was like, you know, you know, how, hearing how other people, t- and it goes back to, you know, how other people talk about demographics and populations are not necessarily how those populations see themselves. And I remember going financially and she was like, well, based on your lower income. And I remember going back to my mom. I was like, did you know we were lower income? And my mom's like, yeah. I was like, how? How? I was one of the only kids who didn't get free or reduced lunch. Like we're doing well for ourselves. Right. And then I met girls who, you know, we would have sorority retreats at their parents' lake house. And I was like, as opposed to your mountain house, like how many houses do you have? Right. Like, the fact that my parents owned a house like was huge, right? We didn't rent yeah. or, you know, it was just, and so just, you know, I think even being exposed to just levels of wealth is just, it's, it's an interesting concept, right? Of like what exists out there, but like going back to, you know, people choosing, you know, to take, um, they, they choose to tie their job skills with who they are as a person. And I think that's really what sets a lot of people back um, and really limits them with how they market themselves, with what they choose to do, even the jobs they have, how they how they show up to work, right? Mm-hmm. You know, my mom, she works in a warehouse and she, you know, she gets employee of the year 
quite a bit. She's just a, such a hard worker. And, you know, you know, she will never say she's just a shipping and receiving person. She's like, I'm an integral part of this company. And this is a multi-million dollar company. And guess what? There is only one of me in this multi-million square footage, you know, warehouse. If I am not here, this doesn't happen. And this sets the company back. She chooses to see herself as an integral part of the company that keeps it going. And without her dedication, her work during, you know, the eight to 10 hours she's there. And it really sets her apart. Right. And so it's the pe- the things that uh how people choose to see themselves in a space, how they choose to see the work. Um, and I think it goes back to having an attitude of gratitude, right? Like I have to do this or I get to do this. And I think for me, it even goes like not just the employee side, but for me, like the leadership side, right? Like if I get my team to buy into my vision, if I get them to buy into the mission, I don't have to tell them to do anything because they'll say, wow, I get to do this. Like I get to help you drive this forward. And like, that's the attitude I want. Like if you feel like you have to do something, then like you can go. I always, one of the things I always say, you know, nobody works for me. They work with me. My team can go work for whoever they want. It is a very competitive job market right now. They can go work for whoever they want. They choose to work with me. And I don't take that lightly, right? They choose to show up. They choose to have a good attitude. They choose to work with me and looking at other jobs and how, you know, they are with employees and losing them. I don't take that lightly as a leader. So if you choose to show up and be your best self with me, I'll choose to show up and be the best leader I can. And I think that's really like how you cultivate a better work environment. But then it's also showing, you know, how people, the time old, you know, you treat people the way that you want to be treated. And I always think, no, you treat people how they want to be treated. And if they don't know what good treatment looks like, then you model that for them. Um, I think we're, you know, not everybody knows what respect looks like towards them or to them. Right. And so um, being able to show like, I, you know, for some of my team, they're always like, you're the best boss. And I would tell them that makes me so sad that you think that because I don't feel like I'm doing anything extraordinary. I'm treating you with respect. I'm treating you with worth. You're not just a insert your job title or for your cousin who's a groundskeeper. Not, you're not just a groundskeeper. You're an integral part because if it doesn't look good, the people who are passing by, this castle may not get photographed in a magazine. It may not whatever. You take people take, I'm a, you know, that old school, you take pride in the work you do, but I also think that you take pride in the people who are doing it with you and for you um, because you don't take that for granted. You don't take people's work for granted. And, you know, my thing is, People are choosing to be with me more time during their wake day than they are with their family. Um, and I'm choosing to be back with them more time. I'm sacrificing time with my daughter to be with them. So these better be people that I want to work with um, and people who want to work with me. And then we can we can make magic happen if we have that attitude. So let me ask you something. Is Would you agree that that same mindset that you have is a very big missing component in a lot of... America right now in that you, you, let me, let me rephrase this. You, what you just described is absolutely everything I think of, right. in the way it should be, but there's a lot of contention in this country towards jobs, towards everything, just everything in general. And that comes down to that mindset, right? So there's that missing mindset that a lot of people have in this country. Why do you think that's missing in this country, because like how many people hate their jobs or hate their families or hate whatever? What do you, what do you think that comes down to? You know, I, I really think that it comes down to this, this idea of, you know, this personal dissatisfaction. I think, you know, obviously we're capitalistic, but I think that that, you know, has transcended past our economy into relationships with even how we view people. We view people as transactional, right? We view things as transactional. 
when things are transactional, how will you ever get satisfaction out of that, right? I don't get satisfaction and joy out of swiping my card at a machine, right? Um, and something I'm really excited about, but then you see your balance go down, right? Like, but just the, the idea of transactions, what makes people happy? Like having relationships, finding worth, finding value. But I, I just think that, yeah, I think that it's a big part of it missing, but just the idea, you know, I think that you know, I have younger cousins and people say these kids don't want to work hard. And some of them I do think want to work hard. I think that they're not willing to settle for some of the things. But I think that um, for me, it's a value system, right? I have my personal values. And then I also have a separate set that I write down oh, of job values. Who do I want to show up as and how do I expect them to show up for me, right? Like I'm going to work to do you a service and in return, I'm getting a paycheck. It is transactional. But within that, I think we try to make it so black and white. We are humans. Like we crave interaction. We crave emotion. We crave, we are energetic beings. If you had a bad mood walking in here, I'm going to feel that. And it was going to change me, right? Yeah. If I have a bad mood or bad attitude, you're going to feel that. And so I think that human experience and human part of it that we try to turn off and just make it, you know, well, this is the handbook and policy of the job, right? Like, yeah. and we need to follow these handbooks. Well, great. Well, where, where does the human experience like fit into those handbooks? Right. Because if I have somebody on my team who's not doing good and having a bad day, and I'm like, you need to take the rest of the day and go home. So it's interesting you it's, say, it's very, very interesting you say that because I have a routine where at 8 p.m. I go put my phone in another room and I choose not to look at that phone till after 6 a.m. And I generally, well, not this morning, uh, but I generally get up at 4 a.m. And I have a morning routine that is for me, right? And one of the things that I'm doing is like, I'm not breaking a promise to myself that I can actually give myself time. And then one of the parts of my morning is writing down things that I'm grateful for. Like even when I walk in a room, like you, I'm sitting here dealing with this, like one, another reason I choose not to look at the phone until six, because it's always going to be a problem. When I look at that phone, there's always going to be a problem I've got to solve. Right. And I'm like, you know what? There's going to be problems 24 hours a day. So I can choose when I'm going to go and address these problems. And even though I was going through, I was like, Hey, I know it seemed like a total, you know, dumpster fire right now. And here it is. Yes, this is, this is a very big problem, but I was just like, yeah, it's just, Hey, look, it's one of the many problems. I, Hey, Mel, how are you doing? Yeah. Hey, all right. Catch my breath, blah, blah, blah. And, it, and you're absolutely right. It's how you approach things. Right. And so like, oh, I have some folks go, Oh my God, those, the, the sky is falling. I'm like, Hey man, the sky's always falling. <laughs> right. There's always something. There's always something. Yeah. And I was going to say too, like the biggest point I think is that transactional cap really goes back to finding satisfaction and worth and joy in everything else but yourself. Yeah. I think that's what people do. And, you know, I had a conversation with my therapist about it because I was like, I'm not happy. Or I'm <laughs> and, you know, whether it's jobs or situations or just different things through over the years. And she's just like, first of all, and it, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's one of those dub, but it like until you internalize, she's like, nobody is responsible for your happiness except you. Your husband is not responsible for your happiness. Your job is not responsible for your happiness. And if you're in an unhappy situation and you think that just removing yourself will make you happy, unless there's somebody doing something physically abusive to you. And it's just like, I'm just dissatisfied with where I am. Until you figure out what you're contributing to the problem, because she's just like, we all think that like we're perfect and there's, it's everybody else but us, right? She's like, until you figure out what you're contributing to the problem and you solve that within that situation and then move on, you're just going to keep replicating the same unhappiness and dissatisfaction wherever you go. And until you're willing to look in, you'll just continue to blame everybody else. And I feel like that is what a lot of our society does is 
it's very easy for us to look at everybody else and say what's broken and what's not working and who's doing what wrong. And the, the I think the lack of humility to say, you know what, maybe I am part of the problem or maybe, maybe I didn't do this right. Or maybe, you know, I didn't make the best judgment call or maybe I did. It's just, I think the idea of like really humility in spaces has been lost. And I try to be a little more openly humble. Uh, sometimes my team to a fault, like I'm, you know, sometimes apologizing or not, but like, Hey, I made about, I made the best call I could with the information I had hindsight. I do something different, but this is what we got. And this is where we're going to go. But being able to recognize that. And I think that just people willing to put themselves out there and be vulnerable. I think that people don't realize like how much more respect that they would get. And they just hide that. And they fear because they want to be seen as powerful when power is really being able to admit that you can't do it alone. Right. And so not as much since the pandemic, but prior to the pandemic, I do a lot of public speaking engagements and the premise was the biggest liar in the room's person in the mirror at any given time. And we all lie to ourselves from priest to president, right? I mean, we, we all like, ah, kind of like last night, one of my guests blew in from town. We went to the Fort Worth club to have dinner. And I was like, yeah, no, that fourth old fashioned seems like a good idea until I got up this morning and my wife's looking at me like, Hey, there's, you're an idiot. And I was like, you don't have to tell me because I'm feeling it every ounce of it. Right. But it, Hey, it was my decision. Right. At any point I could have said, you know what, maybe I should probably stop it too. Now I did make the smart decision as I Ubered. Right? You Ubered. I that's Ubered. huge. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is like, Hey, I might do irresponsible behaviors, but I'm at least going to choose a responsible behavior to counteract my irresponsible behaviors. Right. Karma neutral. Right. Right. right yeah. 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 Karma, karma, I'm going to write that down. Karma neutral. That's it. I'm literally writing down things you say. I'm like, man, I keep getting all these great things. That's how I feel about the the restaurants and different places I choose to patron that have different values. I try to make equal amount of donations to like other nonprofits that value that so I can be karma neutral. My husband's like, it don't work that way. And it's just like, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. I was like economically neutral in my my stance on it. So speaking of nonprofits, yeah. let's talk about your nonprofit. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So I am the executive director of the Ladder Alliance um, nonprofit over here in Fort Worth. This is our 20th year. Wow. And so we really work with women who are survivors of domestic violence, low-income women, and really work to help them live independent, self-sufficient lives. Uh, we also work with some uh, youth and at-risk youth. And we do a lot of this through job training, job development, vocational programs, professional development. We have a repertoire of programs that we offer, um, and we're growing and expanding those. But yeah, 20 years of wow. service to the community. Wow. So what drew you to this? Uh, whew, like I said, a lot of my background had been in college and career access, um, which I love. But I feel like, you know, in the college and career world, more focus is put on the college part, right? And not the the career and, and you know, helping kids go, go into vocations. And really, you know, the way the world is working and how we're moving, we need more people going into vocations. And just really having a heart for people who... You know, I meet a lot of incredible people who uh, want more for themselves. They just need a hand up, right, to get that or access to the resources. And yeah. so when I saw this job posting first, you know, first the first part, working with survivors of domestic violence, you know, I've I've had fo folks in my family who have gone through those situations. And I recently learned there are like uh, seven different types of domestic violence, you know, financial violence, emotional violence, you know verbal violence. And so some of that I can even chalk up to some former ex-boyfriends and 
you know, some of it is, especially a woman like me, I'm like, I've never gone through that or I would never let somebody. And then you think about it and you're like, oh, well, that was kind of financial abuse or emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. And I think that people don't even realize how some of these things manifest, right? Or what we allow, we allow to continue in our life, whether, you know, sometimes intentionally or unintentionally. And so that was, that was really huge for me is to really reclaim some of that and helping women to come into a place of empowerment for themselves. You know, especially the ones who, you know, a lot of the women, they seek us out. And so that's a huge part for, you know, a woman who's potentially, you know, in an abusive relationship or was an abusive relationship or, you know, in a lower income situation where she's working multiple jobs or just whatever with her family responsibilities. When they, the students um, first come to us for interest, prospective students, I always tell our, you know, I always tell our staff, we don't know what the series of events that led her to be courageous to make that first phone call. And so when we get that prospective person, we can either have them encounter us with a positive experience or a negative experience. And if it's negative, who knows how far that would set her back from reaching out for help for somebody else. But let's make sure we get it right every time the first time, right? And so working with who we work with, with our classes. So we have um, a basic computer skills training class, which, you know, for some folks who can barely find the power button to people like me who I'm well-versed in a computer, but I pop into those classes and always learn something new to really get some folks really ready to go and set on um, being able to feel really competent and working with computers, especially if they're trying to transition into service type jobs, into office jobs, right? Being able to have that comfortability and skill set. Um, we have a Microsoft Office Specialist Training Program, which if you went through Neely, um, the undergrads at Neely have to have their Microsoft Office spe uh, Specialist uh, certification in order to get in and take the upper level classes. We have a course for that, and it's the same Microsoft certifications, and we're actually a test site for it. Um, I actually opened up a section this year for TCU TRIO students, uh, girls, so they're first-generation low-income female students, because coming from higher ed, I recognize that just having a bachelor's degree sometimes isn't enough especially for some of our first-generation low-income girls who are coming from, uh, you know, similar situations as our women, you know, getting that first job out of college really can set a trajectory, right? And how do we make sure that they're competitive too? Because just because they're at TCU doesn't mean that they're rich and have money. A lot of our girls are getting Pell Grants and still live at home and are working two, three jobs to help their parents make ends meet. How do we ensure that when they do have that degree in hand that they can go be competitive? And, you know, statistically, they're one to two situations away from being back in the same situation. I know where I come from, you know, reading stats of where I was. And, you know, my mindset is like, there's no way in hell that I, I will allow myself to go back. But I also had a network of people supporting me along the way. So really a lot of this is repaying the kindness and generosity that was given to me to succeed, right? How do I ensure that I'm a good steward of the blessings that were given to me? And I ensure that we, we collectively work together to help sure help um, these women and these girls, you know, get to the next step, get to where they want to be. Um, and then our biggest uh, program that we have, well, the basic computer skills has the most students, but biggest as far as the most expansive class we have is our professional office skills training, which I redesigned this year um, to really set women to, to go into jobs to really be whatever they want to be. And so part of the curriculum is QuickBooks because that is a huge skill. So they learn intro to business, intro to finance, intro to accounting, uh, we actually partner with TCC, so they get a customer skills service certification because soft skills never go out of style, right? Yeah. And then we have, uh, as part of the class, experts in human resources come and they lecture about different topics and they're able to talk about those things. And so really just being a robust um, type program to be able to set you in whichever trajectory for an entry-level, mid-level business course. And one thing we're hoping to add in Q1 of next year is uh, Google career certifications in our programs. So, the first one we're looking at is IT help support. 
um, there's so many IT jobs in Fort Worth and there's, it's growing. And to be able, um, especially that STEM field, right, to be able to have more women and women of color and women from lower income backgrounds be able to go into that. Especially some of these women can go into these fields and make money that would not only elevate their families, you know, elevate themselves, elevate their families, but they're elevating generations to come. And they're really setting the bar of, you know, I may be however years old, but I went back off the certification and now we're living at this standard of life. Now this has become the bar of how we live. And then for the kids and the grandkids, you know, getting a certification or going to college will be then become the bar, right? So you don't just change one person, you change the trajectory of that entire family. And that is uh, like, a, that is powerful. It's huge. Yeah. I can, I, I can remember uh, during my days of being in patrol when I was with Fort Worth PD and I would respond to these domestic violence you know, calls and would just literally look at it and go, why, why are you not leaving right now? I can't financially support myself. Right. And I was like, there's, you know, and I never could understand, like, I, I would rather go be homeless than allow someone to treat me the way that they were being treated. But it was like this, this cycle that they, they, they would have this difficulty breaking out of. And there was all these, the fears of other things were worse than the fears of getting their asses beat by their husbands. Right. And I was like, man, how, how big of a fear is that to be okay with this? Right. And I'm sure, I mean, you, y'all I mean, see there's it. other yeah. factors. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, and really, you know, there's lots of studies that show, you know, the children who grew up in those homes, right. Seeing physical or verbal or any type of abuse, right. They, there's a chance that, you know, especially little boys that they either, you know, become protectors or they become perpetrators. Right. Right. It's a pretty stark kind of divide as to which route, you know, you you either got to go this way or that way based on how you internalize it. And so, you know, for some women, we hear so many different stories of why, you know, some, well, my, they never did this to my kids and I wouldn't want to take their father away or, you know, the support or sometimes it's cultural, right? Mm -hmm. Like the idea of divorce or, you know, I did say even sometimes it's church guilt, right? Mm. Which is a whole other, oh, a that's whole a, other, yeah. Oh, and yeah. so there are lots of reasons. And I would always, oh, you know, I always come back to, you know, the survivors of that situation. Um, they're the ones who have to make the hardest choice and they have impossible choices because they're put in situations they shouldn't have had to be put in in the first place. Yeah. Right. And so one of the big things I'd say too, you know, you know, at the core of it, we do adult education. But one of the things, again, it goes back to, can people teach people, can anybody teach somebody how to use a computer? Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. But that intentionality around what we do in our organization, our director of programs and operations, Jessica, she's an LPC. She's a licensed professional counselor. And so she makes sure that all of our full-time staff, our full-time instructors are trauma-informed. When our students come into our classrooms, they don't leave their life experiences behind. Right. Yeah. And we talk about like what's missing that human connection. We're not just teaching them to, you know, how to make pivot tables in Excel, right? It's a great skill. But we're also, are you okay? How can I help you? We're office in one safe place, which has 22 other nonprofits. Like, what do you need? And then the, the cool thing about where we're office a position is there's other services in the building. So, you know, I don't have to pick up a phone and call, you know, offices downtown or wherever. We can go physically walk you to another human being to help you. And it's like, you know, people talk about, well, financial supports for programs or, you know, academic supports. And we do transportation support. We have bus passing. That's great. But the socio-emotional support, right? People come because they're seeking it out. But why do people stay and why do people finish, right? It's because they had a champion, somebody who believed in them. 
And like I said, that trauma-informed piece, because our instructors, it's hard. They're hearing all these stories. They take that home too, right? So she does work with them to make sure they know how to debrief and and handle it, right? Because it's hard, but you know, walking into a space and having, not having to be apologetic about your situation, not having to be embarrassed about your situation, but being embraced by mm-hmm. your situation. Like, wow, you overcame that. Look at how strong you are. Look at how incredible you are. Look at how powerful you are that you chose. You you chose to take, reclaim your life, take back hold of the choices that were rightfully yours in the first place and do something better. Wow. We are so honored to have you in our class and like having that joy and having that gratitude like I said, can anybody have a computer skills training class? Sure. But what I think we're we're trying to do and what, what we've been reinforcing, it's different. It's special. And um, it's my why, why I keep right. coming back, right? Because I'm, I'm, you know, dealing with the finances and how are we going to get more grant dollars and how are we going to keep this program growing? Or I have big dreams. Great. I got to go fund them. And then I'll go downstairs and I'll sit in a class um, and always make it a point to go greet every class. Um Cause I don't, I never like the idea of a leader head of being some figurehead. Like, no, I'm not the executive director. My Mel. And if you don't like what's happening, like come and see me or call me. Here's my cell phone number. Um, all of our students have my card with my cell phone and I'm like, it's on there for a reason. But, you know, to sit there and, and see how they, they, and they take in the information and how they look at something, see, like it's my why. And so on my hard days, I don't leave. I go downstairs and I, I get back in the trench, right? Like yeah. that's what you have to do. And it, it's really, you, you hit on something that was uh, really interesting. I don't think a lot of people think about is like with what you do and first responders, it's like, look, no one calls 911 because they want to be like, Hey, you want to have a cup of coffee, right? So you go see eight hours of just the worst of humanity. And then you're expected to go home, and put a happy face on Right. And, and that's a hard transition. It's a hard switch. I know I did that for 17 years and that was after six years. In the Marines, right. It was like, yeah, I mean, I spent half my life responding to things that were not good. And so you have to be able to go, okay, how do you, so how do you make that transition? Would you say? Oh, goodness. Cause you still go home and you're not just male, you're a mom, you're a spouse, you're everything else outside of work, right? I'm our home executive director. Yeah, (laughs) I guess the hat doesn't come. No, but I mean, it is. And you know, it goes back to, so I have an executive coach and one of the the biggest things that she helped me learn is, you know, not the, the idea of when I'm at work, it's a role, right? Like I'm Mel, but I'm Mel the executive director. And Mel the executive director sometimes has to do things that personal Mel, like I was like, I do not want to answer this call. I do not want to go to this email. Like, dear God, if I have to sit around this table with, you know, whoever it is. But I signed up to be the executive director and that's something the executive director has to do. The executive director also takes on stress and things. And so being able to really like compartmentalize like parts of myself mm-hmm. I'm getting better, although my team would probably roll their eyes at taking time. <laughs> yeah, I took a quote unquote like sick mental health day and then worked like half the day. And they're like, what are you doing? Yeah. And I was like, it's making me mentally healthy to check on where we are with the event this Saturday. And can somebody send me updates? And they're like, no. And so, you know, I would say taking time for myself, reprioritize, and then remembering that I am no one's savior. No one needs saving in this situation. The women we were, they don't need saving. They need, they could save themselves. They need champions because, you know, people have the idea like, well, I can't save them all. Well, nobody asked you to. And the idea that they're not strong enough to save themselves out of a situation. They came and sought us out. They are, they just need champions. 
They need champions who will fight for them, who will support them, who will get them the resources they need. And my job is to be the best champion I can every day. Some days it's a little harder and maybe I didn't give 100. I gave 80 because maybe 80 was all I had. But, you know, I say it goes back to my, you know, when I interviewed, they asked me, they asked me an interesting question in my interview. What was my biggest fear? Hmm. And I told them to leave something worse than I found it. That would be the biggest fear, especially working with a vulnerable population. Yeah. And so, you know, I kind of leave each day. I have a little sticky note and I said, how did I leave it? Yeah. And because, you know, the, I read an article is like the, the, the dissolute, the illusion of catching up at work. Right. Which helped me. Right. Cause you will never be caught up. <laughs> no. And so instead of like, Oh, I need to catch up. I have a sticky note posted on my desk and it's like, how did you leave it? Yeah. And when I get up, I'm like, I left it better. I left yeah. it better. Cause I was here and I had the heart and I had the passion. I had the knowledge, I had the skills and I executed today. I executed with excellence. Maybe tomorrow I execute it with good enough, Yeah. but I left it better. Yeah. And you know, the day that I, I can, I can't answer that anymore. That's, that's when I put in resignations. Wow. 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 That is, that is such a, it's, ref- I, love, I love doing this show because that's who we bring on people, people that are winning. Right. And that's why it's called winning strategies playbook, right? People that are winning. I mean, it doesn't just have to be somebody that's a CEO of a, Fortune 100 publicly traded company, right? It can also be someone who's the executive director of a nonprofit that is winning every day. And I loved what you said is people don't need saviors, they need champions. They do. Right. That is that is that is that is probably one of the best ways I've heard that because the only person that can choose to fix themselves is themselves person in the mirror right person in the mirror right and 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 you do you know, like like when i would do these speaking engagements i would go like the only person stopping you is the person in the mirror the only person that can tell you you can't can't do something is the person in the mirror now does that mean it might be more challenging for you because you don't have certain things that other people had in order to go do what they're doing yeah i mean like me didn't learn to read till after i had gotten in the marines right Grew up, nobody really knew in the 70s and 80s, you know, what dyslexia really was. And like, mine is so bad. We're like, you can, ho- so my brain doesn't process vowels. You can hold up the word horse and house and go, which one is horse? And the only reason I'll choose it right is because I got a 50-50 chance of picking one of two things are correct, right? Because they both look exactly alike, right? So yeah, did I have challenges? Absolutely. But did I choose to overcome those challenges? Absolutely. Is you know, so it's it's really interesting. Like we we're, you know, we we were sitting here talking about my daughter. It's like I just want her to be happy. Like, hey, I want you to make choices. And guess what? Sometimes those choices aren't going to be the right choices. Sometimes you're going to fail. You know, sometimes it's just not going to work out the way you wanted it to. That's not what the issue is. The issue is, so what are you going to go do about it? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to wake up? How are you going to go, you know, move forward and all of that, right? You know, because look, you know, there's there's real issues out there that just us as humans, right? Like you can't go do the things that like for, here, for example, you can't go do things in the military and then expect to come back and be like, oh, yeah, no, that didn't leave anything on me, right? You know, hey, I saw my buddy get blown up. Oh, yeah, no, 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 that didn't leave any impact on me. Or, hey, I saw you know, a population get annihilated by, you know, Taliban or whoever else. Oh yeah. That's not good. 
But it's like, yeah, no, 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 that does leave things inside of you. But what are you going to do? That's why I, I, I really, really struggled. So I started a nonprofit back in 2013 called Cowtown Warriors. And Cowtown Warriors, 100% of the money that we raise, 100%, every penny that comes in goes directly to our recipients. Wow, right, that's whole incredible. whole board made of volunteers. We got some really generous donors who fund everything, right? So that way, donors can have a hundred percent of their money go. And you know what? I mean, look, we got people missing eyeballs, fingers, legs, toes, the whole nine yards that are out there succeeding and winning. So anytime I would hear that a vet suck started his gun or her gun because these issues just became too much, I'm like. Where, where are we failing at that we can't get to someone and go, hey, look, at the end of the day, yeah, yeah, things suck, but they can suck less. But you got to take that action to be able to go do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, you know, it's funny. I was having a similar conversation not too long ago with um, one of my sisters. And, you know, I, you know, she's like, I just, I can't figure out what to do. You know, and I told her, I was like, if you woke up this morning. I said, yeah. I said, you are blessed. And she just yeah. kind of stopped because we're talking about, you know, things that are tough for her and financial situation and her job, like just different things. And, you know, life not necessarily quite going the way that she wanted it to. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I say, you know, are things happening to you or things happening with you? Because mm-hmm. like, right now you're just kind of like in this free fall of things happening to you. Take back control and let, let it happen with you. Yeah. Um, of what you think you can control. Right. Um, or the illusion of it. But, um, you know, I told her, I was like, you're really blessed. And she kind of stopped. She's like, I don't want to hear this, like, you know, motivation, self-help book talk today. And I told her, I was like, look, friend, like, I'm not, you woke up with two hands, two feet, arguably viable brain. You can go do something today. You can choose to make a different choice. And, you know, um, I will say, you know, my sister's in a privilege position of privilege because she has family support. She has help. And then I get that there are some people who are not in that spot, but I think it's just so often looking at everything that's standing in your way instead of looking at everything that is there to support you, right? And it's like changing that lens of, of why can't, this is why I can't get to where I want to go. Yeah. Well, maybe you can't take that road. Yeah. Everybody's like, well, I, in order to get to, to, to point B, you got to have this, 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 and this, and this. And I was like, well, maybe you weren't meant to go to B. Maybe yeah. you had to go to F and then work your way up. And it's going to take a couple years and it's going to take a little bit of, you know, the, the grit and tenacity. Maybe, maybe it's going to be unconventional and maybe get to work and maybe it's going to hurt and maybe it's going to take a little bit of sacrifice. You could still choose to do nothing. Which one can you live with? Right. So yesterday, one of my uh, recordings, uh, was a good friend of mine, Don Williams, who wrote a book on gratitude, right? And this is his fourth book that he's published. Second time he's been on the show. And, uh, and so as we were talking through it, it's like, I can tell a difference in my day if I don't wake up with my routine of things I'm grateful for. Like, that's part of my routine. I have what's called 10, 10, 10 in the morning, right? So I get up and get my coffee. I do 10 minutes of breathing and meditation, right? Just, you know, reminding myself that, hey, I can, I can actually stop and breathe and think about the situation. And I do 10 minutes of reading. And matter of fact, I'm third time through this book called the 15 traits of conscious leadership, right? Oh. Great book that it was also given to me by Tom Williams. Uh, he didn't author that one, but, uh, and now I'm in the third time of like with a red pen, like underlining the things that are helping me be an above the line leader rather than a below the line leader. So below the line is to me, above the line is through me. 
right? And to me, below the line is victim or villain, right? Above the line is I'm being curious. I'm asking questions. I'm trying to learn more. It doesn't mean I'm great at things, right? I'm Look, I'm human, right? But that's what I do is for that 10 minutes and then 10 minutes of journaling. I have this oak journal uh, that is just, you know, it's then the first thing it says, what are the three things I'm grateful for? And like he and I were talking about yesterday was is not just what are you grateful? Why are you grateful? And there is three things. Every human can wake up in the morning and say, I'm grateful I'm alive, right? I am grateful that I can get a cup of coffee, you know, because there's people that can't afford coffee. I'm I'm grateful that I can put on a different set of clothes because some people only have one set of clothes. You can, no matter how minor it is, you can find something to be grateful for and then just build on that every single day. And I do because I am, I'm human. Sometimes I wake up and I've got so much on my mind. Then I'll be like, no, I just got to go straight for the phone. All right. I got to go straight into working on something. And what I find myself is by lunch, I'm not the person who I want to be. Because I skipped and I broke my promise to myself, which is I can give myself 30 minutes in the morning to do things that are good for me. I can not look at my phone till 6 because like we were talking about is the, the, the problems are going to be there. Whether I look at that phone at 6 a.m. or whether I look at that phone at 4 a.m., guess what? The problems are going to be there. Right. But I can choose to not break. So this is one of the things that this book really highlighted for me was we might not break promises to other people, but we break promises to ourselves every day. Right. And and, and, and what good is it if you can't take care of you? Right. It's kind of like on an airplane. Right. When they say, hey, look, you know, if the oxygen mask come down, make sure you put yours on first because it's not going to do you any good if you can't help anybody else because you can't breathe. Right. And that's the way I really think of it, is to be selfless, you have to be selfish. You can't take care of you. How can you really be expected to help take care of anybody else? Yeah, like right? the idea you can't pour from an empty cup, right? 100%. Um, 100%. You know, I had to go through some of that after I had my daughter, like the mom guilt when I wanted to go back out. And then, <clears> you know, had to learn in order to be the best mom for her, I had to be the best me. And if I was unhappy, how would I ever be there and show up and be present for her, right? Yeah. Um, if I was constantly feeling guilt for going out with my friends or finally having that <laughs> margarita after breastfeeding, right? Like, <laughs> I was like, finally, tequila. Um, but then you're like, but my child is at home with her father. Oh, gosh, she's at home with her father. So I'm like, uh, she had a marine onesie, uh, oh, awesome. like zip up all the way combat. The things that they would do. Yeah. And so I was just like, you know, how can I be here? Like, what type of her? And, you know, after a while, I don't care what people think about me. I care what I think about myself. Huh, oh man, you are I do because, you're 100% um, hitting on it. Yeah. I was like, you know, when I can't go to sleep at night, it's not because somebody said something mean to me at work. It's not because maybe I had to have a card conversation. It's because I didn't hold up the sense of I didn't I didn't hold myself to my level of integrity. Mm. Right? Like that's the stuff like that eats at me. And I know for some people they can brush it off, but again, being in touch with me and myself and my values and my morals, when I miss the bar for myself, it's like so we're we're the hardest on ourselves. Yeah. And I think, but like that's I also think it's a twofold, right? We have to learn how to be generous with ourselves. And I always talk, even at work, I always talk about extending grace. I was like, hey, extend grace and give grace. Somebody was late, don't you can have well people who are this, you know, we just well, guess what? Maybe they had X, Y, and Z happening. Extend a little bit of grace because you would want to receive that if something was happening to you, right? Like let's yeah. be. I think. 
part of what's wrong. We don't extend grace enough and we don't give it to ourselves. If we don't even know how to receive grace and forgive ourselves, how can we possibly even share that with others? Like, how can we, we, yeah. and that's a form of love. And I think love is missing. And I am not a touchy feel. I'm a Marine wife. Right. I am not a touchy feely kumbaya, but it's that sense of love. And we have a shared experience. And wow, maybe you're the idea that maybe somebody is going through something that we don't know about, right? Because I think we're so quick to say things and be critical and judge. And I'm even um, guilty of it sometimes. And I have to stop. Have you ever been in those situations where you've been humbled? You kind of make a little smart comment or joke. And then you realize later somebody in the room like has something else going on. And you're like, oh, if I would have known that I wouldn't have made that comment or I wouldn't have said that or I wouldn't have been as insensitive. Maybe I still would have made it because I'm that person. But like I would have... Made it knowing, right, what the what the outcome is going to be. And I was going to say, going back to, like, that generosity thing, it's like it, the privilege to be able to travel is also so humbling. Like, I told you, the first time I ever left the country was to India. And, you know, here I'd seen poverty. My mom's from East Texas. I've seen what poverty looked like. My grandmother didn't have running water in her house until I was, like, in high school, right? Like, I know what it looks like. But going over there, that is a whole other depth. Right. Yeah. I saw leprosy for the first time. I thought it was it. I honestly thought it was, and it goes like that, just American ignorance. Right. Yeah. And being in a bubble. It is what it is. It's just this American naivete. You know, I thought it was a biblical disease. I had no idea it was like a real thing. Like, I was just like, I thought that we eradicated this 2000 years ago with Jesus. Like what is right. happening? Right. Um, and then like hearing my own self at like, you know, 19, I was just like, this is, a, and then like coming back, it's like so humbling. I'm like, what don't I know? How ignorant am I? And like the humility, like we have in carrying that humility with me. And right. Like, I don't know everybody's lived experience or even, you know, how people politically see themselves. If you're an R or you're D, we kind of label you like, okay, if you align with this, this must be all your beliefs. Instead of giving you the grace or generosity to say, maybe you don't align with everything. We just put you in a box and we shove you to the side and we discard you as a person. Man, so it's really funny that you hit on that is uh, it's really interesting. So one of my people was talking to one of my other people because there was a situation going on. And of course they were like, okay, we got to go to spam with the situation. And then it was funny is later he was like, Hey, something that dawned on me is we, we all come to you with problems. Like all, like all the different businesses, all the different things. And they said, because our problems seem like the biggest problem in the world. And then he had said, and then it dawned on me one day is like, you get like 10 of these calls from 10 of your entities all having problems. And he goes, and I don't, and he said, I don't think I ever stopped to sit there and wonder like, who do you go to? Right. Like you're, you're getting impact. And, and, and he, and and it was really funny. He said, I'm starting to understand more. He goes, because for the most part, I'd say 95% of the time, he's like, you stay very calm. You receive it. Or as he said, he goes, you're really good at getting motherfucked. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, and you don't, React. He, he's like, and he's a Marine as well, right? And he's just like, like, you could literally like murder that person and not even blink. Instead, you stay calm, you receive it, go, okay, let me think through this and I'll get back to you. And he's like, how do you do that? And I was like, because I can make a choice on how I'm going to respond. You can either react or you can respond. And I said, like, there was another thing I had to deal with on Sunday. And it was like, this is what I would like to say and do, but there's not going to be much progress if I do what I want to do right now. So this is what I need to say, and this is what I need to do. 
And guess what? That's part of putting on your grown-up clothes and showing up and just going, yeah. And then so you, it's, and that part, you know, it comes with maturity and experience and growth and everything else. But yeah, I mean, when somebody's just sitting there and throwing daggers at me, right? Or I, yeah, there's times I'm sitting there going, I'd really like to punch back right now, right? And, and one of the ways that I learned that uh, was, so when I left the PD and I went to work for an unnamed firm uh, that I was recruited by a fellow alumni from TCU, uh, who was also a retired Marine Corps colonel that I thought a lot of, uh, would eventually drive the company into the ground and get indicted by the SEC. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Right? And that didn't come without fallout for all of us, even though we knew nothing of what was going on, which, by the way, would only cost like $100,000 in three years of my life for the SEC to come back and go, oh, as it turns out, we determined you didn't know anything. And I was like, yeah, you could have saved me like a hundred grand in three years of stress if you'd have just figured that out a lot quicker, right? But the government moves very, very quickly, right? Uh, but, um, but it was interesting because my lawyer, Donald Kaskowski, is I was being attacked, I mean, on a public forum, right? On a personal forum. I mean, just people saying things that, you know, being a Marine, I wanted to fight back. Like, hey, you don't have any idea of what the real situation is. And then I had no clue of what was going on there. And and my attorney's sitting there going, yeah, but you can't say anything. And I was, oh, yeah. See, I can see, like, 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 oh, like, 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 so I can't even get up. And he goes, you're paying me to be your voice. So that way you don't say something that inadvertently gets you sucked further into this because you said something that was not wrong. But all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, well, now you've said something where now we need to drag this out more and more and more. And, and, I, and I was sitting there, like, I won't forget, my wife and I were, were getting on a plane. I can't remember where we were going. And, uh, and I was scrolling through Facebook, and sure enough, it was like I was tagged in something. And this was somebody that I had worked with previously in the police department. And I'd gone on Facebook and just really said some uncalled for things. And I'm sitting there like, oh, I just, God, I want to I fight back and go, no, you're, you're, you're speaking from a position of ignorance because you don't know the situation. And so I did learn that it did benefit me to have a very expensive attorney be my voice. Sorry, the SEC, because that was the end goal, right? Was the SEC to go, yes, we've looked at all the evidence and it turns out you didn't know anything. Yeah, right? But I had to learn to hold back in order to let other professionals do their job in order to do that. And it was actually, so when I, I'll have people many a times go, man, I bet you wish you could change what happened. And I'm like, no, actually, I don't. Did you learn the most? Oh, man, because that's where we learn the most, right? Is I, What I wish I could change is that my family didn't feel the repercussions of that situation. But I learned, I, I make jokes, I got an MBA from TCU, but I got a PhD in business because of that situation, Right. And, and it taught me to be better, right? It taught me to be able to sit there and go, okay, I'm receiving what you said. I'm going to process it. And I'm going to get back to you with what our next course of action is. But it doesn't mean that I don't want to be human and just blow back up at the other person. And sometimes, every once in a while, that does happen because at the end of the day, I am human, right? And it is tough. And that's why I have so much admiration 
for folks like you that are in a position is like, you're. <laughs> how often do you get somebody that makes that phone call to go, hey, I was just calling because I heard about your organization. My situation is totally good. I just wanted to call and say, hey, I'm good. Right? No, you're, no. You're, 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 you're sitting here like the bottom of a funnel catching all the craziness that comes out. And yet you choose to show up and have the positive attitude that you have. I mean, it just you don't even have to say a word. It like glows off of you, right? And that and that is so that is that is so, so much of what I would love to see happen more in this incredible country. Because I do love this country. I don't I don't love a lot of the things our country does sometimes. And I don't love a lot of the decisions our country makes at times. Don't love how our country treats certain folks sometimes, but I still love this country, right? Yeah, it's a, it's an incredible place to be. Like we talk about my husband being a Marine. Um, he actually earned his citizenship through the Marine Corps. He came to this country as a little kid undocumented. Like he didn't make that choice. His parents wanted more. And mm. his dad was a migrant farm worker who got um, the amnesty and his parents were able to get a green card. But he earned his citizenship. You know, in, in learning his story of the idea he earned his citizenship, you know, I was born with it. It really changed my perspective of like that right and privilege as an American. He had to go sacrifice his life, you know, put his life on the line to be able to to call himself American and vote. And, and I was born with that privilege. And I think, I mean, Thank God I was even born in Texas. So I'm yeah. a little, I'm a tech, you know, my daughter knows she's a Texan, although she really likes California now because of Disney. And we're like, we had to bring her back. We're just like, like too much sunshine state, too much. Like you are, a, you know, I, I had an interesting job offer years ago um, out of state. And this is before we had her. I was pregnant at the time. And I told my husband, I was just like, the idea of my child not being able to grow up and say she was born and raised in Texas is like, what would that even be like? What do people say they're born and raised? Do they even use that phrase? And he's just like, this is your concern. And I was just like, it just haunts me. Um, so no, she, we will stay in Texas. And so. It's funny. It's just like, uh, cause I've done a lot of overseas travel and you can always tell the difference of when somebody's from Texas, because when somebody from another country says, where are you from? If it's not Texas, they go to the U S if it's technically, I always it's, say Texas. It's automatic. Hey, Texas, not nah, from Texas. Oh, and people right? love Texas everywhere. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I always have people who are just like, uh, do you know Walker, Texas Ranger? And I'm like, personally, or like the show. And they're like, have you heard of Bonanza? And I'm like, because people still watch Washington. Yeah. And I was like, they're like, do you have a horse? And I was like, I mean, I ride them, but I don't personally like, no, right. they're like the farmlands. And I was like, okay, that's a real thing um, right outside the city. But people are infatuated with that. And I love Texas, right? And I, I may not agree with everything that happens, but right. it's just like, what an incredible like privilege we have to like be here and be in a space of opportunity and change. And even like I said, with our organization, being able to pick up the phone or for me, being a, a girl from Fort Worth, being able to, to lead an organization, doing work I'm passionate, like it's something it, it's beyond what I could have imagined. And instead it's like a great privilege. I don't take it lightly. And um, it goes back to what I said earlier is I do believe that we live in a country where you can do and be anybody, anything you want to be, and the only person that stops you is the person in the mirror. That means that you might not have to do more, do extra, or overcome challenges, but yeah. You know, it's like when you were saying, you know, like being at Radio Shack, right? It's like, hey, it was a boys club, right? And you made a choice like, hey, I could choose to take my ball and go home, or I can choose to deal with the situation, right? And it, and, and, and it may have even been, you know, more of a, hey, I'm fitting in the way I don't really want to fit in, but you made that choice, right? And then 
again, you you learned experiences from that, right? Because then you go, hey, as it turns out, I don't want other people to feel maybe in that situation carrying forward, right? So there was the curse of maybe being in a situation. So it's like, I often say it on the show. Everything that's a blessing is a curse, and everything that's a curse is a blessing, yeah. right? And so that's why I look at things as I stop and go, okay. You know, so it was like yesterday when my daughter called me, and I would get excited when she calls me. She's asking for my advice. She's got a roommate issue going on, right? And I was like, yeah. I said, that's tough. And I said, these are the different options you have. But I said, at the end of the day, it's going to be fine because you've only got two months left with this roommate for your no longer roommates, and you're going to go to your next place, right? And I said, but take forward what you got out of this, right? So now you know better questions to ask of potential future roommates that you wouldn't have known to ask. And it wouldn't matter if I would have told you to ask because you didn't have that experience yet. But now you've experienced that. You don't want to relive that situation. And that's wisdom. That's wisdom, right? Like even when you're saying that when you get mad, you know, or somebody comes to you with something, you're like, I don't know, let me think. Just learning to add that period of discernment into your decision-making skill is wisdom. It's something, I mean, I'm a parent of a toddler. So it's like in order to (laughs) stick with gentle parenting, I'm having to like learn. Because I was just like, oh, I don't want to like spare the rod. You are getting real close, girlfriend. (laughs) But like, you know, taking that deep breath and I'm like, how big is this situation compared to how big my anger is, right? Like it's not. And and putting it into perspective. I I make jokes all the time people and go, you haven't done true parenting unless you've wanted to actually murder your child at least once, right? Like, like I want to kill this person right now. Like, what are you doing? You're going to drive me to the bottom of the barrel. Like, what the hell is going on? And you just sit there and look and go, that's probably not the best decision to make right now, honey. <laughs> you know, my kid, she is, uh, she's smarter than me and my husband ever hoped to be. She is. She's she's a little Montessori school, and you know they talk about good choices and poor choices, right? And so it's all about choices there, which I love. She makes choices to where I'm just like, I know that you're a better person than this, and then I have to remember sometimes she's three because she's the only. We talk to her like we never goo goo gaga. We talked to her like an adult, you know. And I asked her one time, she made a really poor choice. I was like, why did you do that? She goes, I didn't realize it was my fault. And I was like, well, whose fault would it be? She goes, I don't know. And she looks down at the dog. She goes, Emmett. And it's like, we're not doing this. She's like, Emmett made me do it. And I was just like, we're not putting this on Emmett. But it's just like, you know, the idea of that, what we talked about earlier, abdicating like responsibility off to other people instead of yourself. I see it in my three-year-old. And I'm just like, it starts that young. Yeah. It's the fear of if I take repercussions, what will happen to me? And I've really had to be mindful with how I discipline and how we do things to where it's like, I want her to take accountability without the fear of, I'm going to get in trouble or I'm going to get a pop or I'm going to get whatever because mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it's a conversation of, I'm like, will you do that again? And she goes, no, mom. And I'm like, okay, well, I trust you. Don't do it. And then, so how do you instill the integrity of regardless of the consequences, I'm going to be accountable for me. That's and what we like, called learning opportunities growing up, right? Is that's why I raised my daughter. It's like, it's not a mistake. It's a learning opportunity. Now, if you don't learn from that learning opportunity and you repeat the behavior, then that becomes a mistake that you chose to make, but I would just never, you know, I I remember one time she was, uh, God, man, she was probably about 12 or 13 and she had done something that really had me wound up. Right. And I was like, and I was just getting in her ass. And she looked at me and she goes, hold on, man. She goes, this was a learning opportunity. And I was like, and then I'm having to sit there and think, I was like, she'd done this for I was like, you never done that before? She's like, no. And I was like, 
No one can ever accuse you of not listening. <laughs> when they turn it, when they learn the playbook and they oh, turn it back oh, on you. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we do yeah. poor choices. And uh, she told her dad, it was a couple months ago, he did something. And she goes, Daddy? And she, he goes, like, what? She goes, you make poor choices sometimes. <laughs> and then he looked at me. He's like, are you going to say something to her? And I was like, you make poor choices sometimes. He's like, what do you want me to do? You do make poor choices sometimes. And he's just like, I'm just being out number. I was like, all you're good for, honey, is waking her up in the morning and uh, making sure that you go make her money. Like yeah, that's a go make go make my money. That's what she does every morning. She's like, "Are you gonna go to work and make my money?" I'm like, "Yeah, baby." She's like, "Well, then have a great day." It's contingent on that. And so, um, you know, the the lessons we learn from them. And I will say, you know, we talk about winning, and you know, it, it's a team effort, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't be able to win if it wasn't for my team. I have to I'd be remiss to like not give them a shout out. Uh, they are incredible people. They believe in me. They believe that I'm competent. <laughs> they trust in that, right? That's sometimes rare um they believe in the leadership they believe in where i'm headed but i also believe in them back and so i think is i can be an innovator and a visionary all day but if i also had to execute every idea like it would never happen it would never happen with excellence and so being able to say like okay guys i have this crazy idea or i have this concept or i have this thought and they don't just say not again they're just like okay what is it yeah and i put it out there and they'll brainstorm and get feedback and then i get to i get to i get the distinct privilege with my team of walking away, knowing that everything we talked about, it will be handled. Yeah. That's like, huge. What a, it, it, huge. Again, don't take it lightly because there are a lot of people who don't have it. And I try not to brag about it too much because I don't want you poaching my folks. <laughs> right. Like cause people, I was like, don't slide into their LinkedIn DMS. Um, I was just, you know, and it's one of those where, you know, even the culture of the organization really trying to change it um, and really enhance it. One of the things that I added this year was, you know, we're a nonprofit and we give back, but it, like you said, it's heavy and it's hard. And sometimes there are organizations that are close to our hearts. So I added in 16 hours of paid service hours. So if, you know, one of my employees, if Jessica wants to go volunteer at her kid's book fair, as long as it's a nonprofit or education like that, you know, some of them have um, even a one safe place. Some of the initiatives, they're Camp Hope. They're like, hey, I want to go work Camp Hope. I'm like, everybody can go work Camp Hope, but, you know, yeah. one or two of y'all can and you know, two of those eight, 16 hours is cut because like, how do we give back? Like I have, I do, you asked that earlier and fully answer, you know, I do sports and recreation with my husband. We do sports. Now that my daughter's in sports, we're all in sports. Um, I coached a four U basketball. That is not for the week. Uh, <laughs> this is the most trying thing I've ever done in my life. It was harder than being an executive director, but you know, like we go to the gun range, we go shoot and we do uh, we do clay shooting, which I love. Um, and so, you know, finding ways to keep ourselves, I think, especially when you do a lot of mentally straining work, you have to keep yourself physically active. Like you got to physically exert that. But again, goes back to, I can only, ex- when I exert it, you know, especially on the weekends or go do an activity or go play basketball with my husband and I feel good and I get to walk back and just take a nap or whatever. It's because everything is being handled on the back end with my team. Yeah. Could you imagine of like what it's like to go to work and then go home and then question the competency of your team and wonder if things are happening or you show up to something and it's not what you inv- I couldn't imagine. Yeah. I wouldn't allow it. Um they know what their level of um they know the level at which they can perform and I expect that from them because I tell them they should expect it back from me. And I told them don't think that I'm too big to where you can't call me into a meeting room and tell me that you have an issue with my leadership. I want you to. Yeah. If I'm slipping, if I'm falling, there's a way to do it. Take me into a room and call me out. Like, let me know. So I have a saying uh, with all my businesses, which is, if you see something, say something. 
right? Don't leave it unknown. Actually, the, there's something worse than lying, which is withholding, mm. right? So let's go back to 20-year-old Mel. Oh, a 20-year-old right? Mel. If you could go back to 20-year-old self, to you knew that 20-year-old self would listen to just one thing of do or don't do this, what would you go back and tell 20-year-old self? So much. Um, I, I would tell her what stocks to invest in, but really, um, I would say believe in Bitcoin. Um, no, but what I, I would really tell twenty-year-old self, and you know, thinking about it, I would say, look up the term codependency and break yourself out of that. Ooh. You know, you know the idea of um, you know it's a hot topic and around the idea of generational curses, right? Generational mm-hmm. curses really are just the habits and ideas and customs passed on to our family that they needed generations ago for survival, but not all, it might've helped somebody survive at the time, but it's not healthy. Yeah. Um, the dependency on our families, um, how we cope with relationships, how we need to be needed, those ideas. Yeah. And I feel like 20 year old Mel that held you back from taking risk and chances. Cause you were worried about what other people thought or how other people were going to handle it or what the, the concept of, and 20-year-old Mel was really worried about making sure that she lived up to her parents' expectations because when you're the first one to make it, mm-hmm. all eyes on you, right? This concept of, of everybody's looking out for you. No, you look out for yourself, 20-year-old Mel. You break out of codependency and you live your life man, I, unapologetically. Man, I, it's one of the things I love about doing this show is I ask that question at the end and I always get a different answer. It is really, you know, at some point, these answers are going to overlap, right? I don't think we've had an occasion, have we, Gage? I don't think we've seen one where, where one uh, uh, actually jumps in and does it. Okay, so people want to learn more about your organization and you. Where do they go? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, ladderalliance.org. We're on all the social media platforms. Again, like I said, we're celebrating 20 years. We're having our 20th year celebration May Friday, May 13th um, at the TCU Blue Ballroom. Oh, so wow. come join us. It's uh, at 6 Um and again, it's our 20th year, so it's actually 1920s theme. So some of us will be dressed in 20s attire. You're welcome to do so. I'll be in a cute little flapper dress. And so uh, we'll be celebrating, hoping to raise funds. We'll have a live auction, a silent auction. We're just going to overall have just a really good night, celebrate the work that we're doing, and really celebrating the women that we get to serve. That is incredible. And in just in case you were driving down the road and you didn't have a chance to write all these down, you can always go to myexperiencedrealtor.com. Click on podcast, scroll on down to Mel's episode, and we'll have all this information on the read more. Thank you for coming today, Mel. Really, truly enjoyed this. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun. Have you done with these before? No. Oh, my God. You you acted like a church.